Wow, that's awesome. Am I on? Can you hear me okay? Okay, check. Well, I tell you, man, that was good. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, um, I just want to pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for your presence. <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have an appointment with people today, with individuals today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that meets people where they're at, that you are the source. Thank you, Lord, for moving in us and through us. Thank you for meeting every need, Lord, body, soul, emotions, mind, spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You know, this, this, uh, this week uh, I was just touched, uh, you know, I've, I've been really meditating on, on um, the finished work, and I tell you what, you know that it's, that, but it's the real foundation of everything. But that finished work is so utterly powerful. And, and um, I don't know if you do communion at home ever on your own or, if, or you do it in worship time. And, and you know that communion really, really should be done um, as a group because we all participate of one loaf. And there's an element of communion that, that we, when we do it when, it, when you come together, typically the, the, the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the thing of communion. What is the what's that well not just the elements but you know when 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 jesus said that we should do communion they call that i forget what the religious word is well whether it's a sacrament or whatever that you're going to do of communion that that typically is done as a body and there's intention we're going to you know when when we taught about communion it's like when you get together and you do this this communion and, and we get taught about that but but the power of of realizing that to me um, is utterly powerful in your life. You know, when I taught about it maybe a month ago, three, four weeks ago, and I really just saw, and, and, and you know, the power of your imagination is something, yeah. really is something. And when you see Jesus coming to wash your feet, and he comes to, he says, you clean. He says, because of the word I've spoken to you, and he comes to wash your feet, and he says, unless you let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And then he shares about the, the communion and, and, and he, he says, and, and uh, there's some beautiful scriptures that you can really unpack about. When you just study Jesus as the bread of life, there is so much to that. He talks about, you know, when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and of course, if we, was, if we were Hebrews, we would know we would know what that meant, right? Because the lamb you did, you did often, the lamb that was taken, the lamb that was the innocent lamb and that was taken for our sin. And, and the image that really impressed me, and forgive me if this is a little bit graphic, but I think it needs to be. But, but you know, when, when you have a lamb, and I don't know how, how many of you have grown up in a farm or had, have held a little lamb, you know, when you have something that's, just sweet and pure and innocent, right? You hold this little lamb, that what was sacrificed for sin. And if you think about what the process was, it, it was taking that lamb that couldn't have a spot or blemish on it to the priest, and he would slit its throat. He would let that blood pour out. And that blood, he would mark certain instruments, he would put on the altar to, to sprinkle it on certain places and so on. 
the lamb, that lamb that was innocent took the punishment for sin. And so when John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, <laughs> the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, takes away the sin of the world. When he was, when Jesus essentially had the equivalent of his throat slit and poured out his life, if you read that and study that in Isaiah 53, it says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. God poured the punishment of your and my sin on him. And the reality of, of, of connecting Jesus, the Lamb of God, the bread of life. And when Jesus said that in John 6, he said, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, and, and you know, the whole, the whole imagery of participating in that, and, and we get to, to remember that. We, when you do communion, whether it's by yourself or in a group, you know, and you write, you know what? I feel like I've missed the mark. Now, maybe it's only me, and you guys have really good lives. You never get mad at anybody. You never, not that there's anything wrong. But you know, sometimes, sometimes connecting, because you know, Corin mentioned it here, the, the salvation package, what we get in that was the whole exchange that we see in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, you have never, you have never been able to earn, you have never been able to earn what Jesus gave. You will never be able to earn what Jesus gave. We're so quick, we're so quick to, um, uh, to, to uh, exp uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Exempt ourselves, excuse ourselves, disqualify we're so quick to disqualify ourselves because of our actions. But do you know that because of Jesus' action and Jesus' righteousness, you are as qualified for any healing, any miracle as Jesus is. But that's, that takes, that, although that is a reality, that takes time to process that reality. It takes intentionality to process that. And I, and I think that sometimes just doing communion on your own and thinking and through those and meditating on those, wow, this is the bread of life, and that can, can really strike at home. If you have struggled, and I felt this was a word for you this morning, and me too, if you have struggled with a particular, with re receiving healing or, or, or receiving something that is yours, let that reality of what Jesus did that finished work be yours. Amen. Emotionally, use your imagination and connect with what the lamb did for you. That innocent lamb had his, his throat cut. His blood was poured out. The new covenant. I know it sounds graphic, doesn't it? But Jesus, it was way more graphic on that day was way more graphic on that day. But I think that if we don't have a, a, a real working knowledge, was, that's the word, you know what I mean, a real tangible, real, yes, realization. Wow.
that was what he did. That is, the, that is the absolute foundation of the New Testament church, of you and I. It's our foundation for everything that we will experience and experience. And um, before I get into my, my message on critical factors, as you know, I'm doing a, a little bit of a series on critical factors. Um, I did want to give you a little, a little touch-up on, on, and um, uh, I just mention to you, GLS is coming up soon. The GLS Summit is coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're excited about that. And for all of you volunteers and jumpers who have jumped in to help, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're getting more and more leaders registered. And in fact, we were at a, a commission meeting. Karen and I were on a, a local radio station. You didn't know that, right? We're not... <laughs> it's a little AM station that's Lake County around this area, um, and uh, the queue it's called. And we, we were on a, a and we spoke for a couple of hours. And we were being spoke about the GLS, and then we went to a city commission meeting, used a city commission meeting, and uh, we we mentioned it to the mayor and to the commissioners there about what's happening here, and uh, they were they were grateful and thankful that we brought it to their attention. And in the audience was um, used a city chief, police, police chief. And he, he came up and spoke to Corin afterwards, and he said, um, he said, thank you, Lake Haven, for what you did. Remember our outreach, our police outreach? So he, it was uninitiated. He, he just heard the name Lake Haven, and he said, I just wanted to thank you. So thank you again for, for doing what you, what you have contributed to do for our law enforcement outreach. It's awesome. Amen. So I just wanted to mention that. Oh, there is a GLS leaders meeting, right? After the meet, off, straight after the service. Oh, okay. Sorry. The GLS is the Global Leadership Summit. If you're watching online, it is something you can actually participate online. If you would like to go to our website, you can get more information. Um, but we, we, are, we are hosting in person here, one of the two venues in Central Florida that are hosting in person for people who want to come in person. But this year, because of the whole COVID thing, it's being offered online as well. And that's the nice thing. If you do decide to, if you do decide to attend the GLS um, and you're only available in the mornings or only in the afternoons or only one of the two days, you can access the rest of that, the, that conference material throughout the day or they're actually going to give you access to the rest of the summit sessions for, a, for seven days afterwards. So it's a really, really good deal. Karen and I have been going to this for a couple of years, and, and um, it's rich, rich leadership material. And before you think, well, I'm not really a leader. I'm just a house mom. Parents are leaders. Yes. Parents are leaders. And there is, there is phenomenal, there's, it's really great content, as you will see if you uh, get a taste. And, you, and Karen's got a couple links on, the, on, the, on uh, Facebook. And uh, you can get a little, little, little nitbits of uh, tasters, and you'll see, wow, this is rich. Anyhow, so that's really, really, really worth it. So I felt like I just wanted to get that out of the way. So um, on to my message here, critical factors, critical factors. We've been speaking about critical factors for, the f for a few weeks, and, and this is the fourth part in that. And um, basically, I was talking about um, the 80-20 rule. And in, in essence, the 80-20 rule, we've heard about it, we've seen about it, but there are some things in life that are more important than other things. And, and it's called the Pareto Principle, but it says this, 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. That's good and bad. I mean, if you want to think of it just for a moment in the negative sense, some of the biggest negative things of your experience were just from little things that created a big issue. But the same is true in the positive. 
This, and identifying positive and negative, what those critical factors are in our life can have vast and sweeping differences in our life. Because if it's, if it's one of the little things, you can get by with a, you can miss out. Not that they're unimportant, but there are some things that are just more important. And, and we looked at, at where Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 23, um, he said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he called them, fakers. You tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, he says in 23. It's such a, it's such a powerful, powerful truth. And then he says, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And so, so the whole point of this series is, is like, we do talk big deals here. I don't think at Lake Haven, any one of our topics are just superfluous little topics. We've gone through some, 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 some of our major major series that we've covered in, those, in these last few years are big deal topics. But, but I, I wanted to take a step back and, and, and help us just get, a, just get a, an overview in this, this current climate that we're living on. Hold on, guys. Let's just take a step back and take a look at what's important. What are the big deal factors? You know, Jesus also said this um, in Matthew 5, 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has, has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first, go and go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, it's an interesting passage, right? He says, you're about to offer us something at the altar and then you find that you've got something wrong with your brother and he says, leave your gift there. Interesting. He says, doesn't say take it along with you. He says, leave your gift right there. And he says, go and reconcile with your brother first. First. So Jesus didn't say, oh, it's not important. Don't worry about your offering at the altar. This is more important. He said, before you go and give that, he says, get your heart involved with your offering. If your heart is clouded, if your heart is burdened, he says, it's more important weightier matters, it's more important that you connect here with your heart, in, with your brother, and reconcile with your brother, that's more important. It's more of a critical factor, it's more critical that you do that than you just go and give your tithe, pay your tithes, or give your offering. So there is a priority in some of these things. Now, um, again, you know, I saw, uh, this illustration came to mind. You know, if we were, if you can imagine that Titanic. Now, I've been to Belfast where the Titanic was built, and there's a big memorial at, right in the harbor. It was designed, if you know anything about, uh, or you study history, or are a student of history, or love history, the Titanic sa sank on its maiden voyage, and um, it was built. The Irish are very quick to tell you, yes, it was built in Belfast, but it was designed by an Englishman. You know, so they... <laughs> So the, <laughs> the Irish were big ship, shipbuilders. And, um, uh, but if you imagine an old steamship, there are multiple working parts. You've got the engineers down in the bowels of the ship, and they, they, had, they were stoking the things with coal that they would stoke those old, steam, those old steam, uh, steamer things with, uh, and, and those boilers and everything like that. So the, the guy that's in the bowels of the ship making sure those fires are keeping the engines are turning 24-7, he is not the guy that's busy navigating the ship. There's, there's, whole, there's thousands, in fact, of people. If you've ever been on a cruise, uh, if you've, there are thousands of working people and parts on being on a ship. And, and only one or two of them are watching where the ship's going. 
Isn't that crazy? It feels, sounds like crazy. But somebody has to be watching where the ship's going. Somebody is plotting a course. And somebody is physically or looking out for objects. Now, I don't know if you've watched the news in the last couple of years. There's been some ship accidents. Ships running into other ships. Crazy, right? Even in this day and age with radar and everything. But it happens, right? So, so the, the point is here that... Even if you are, if, if, we're, if, we, if we understand that as, as parts of this body that we've been experiencing, we are parts of members of the body, and, and this body has a, has a plan. We, we each have a role to play. Sometimes we're firing up the boilers, and sometimes we're running around, and sometimes we're doing this, and sometimes we're on the radio, and sometimes we're on lookout, right? There are different pieces to the puzzle, but we all have the same direction. We're all flying the same flag. We are all heading in the same direction. Now, I know that when it comes to churches, somebody, I, I've had somebody that was um, saying, if you're not connected with the vision of a church, even if you're really not connected with Lake Haven, vision of that church that you can participate in. Because somebody, I, I've heard this, and you maybe have heard it to people, well, I'm just going to go and be part of that church, and I'm just going to shine the light. Well, you know what? You can shine all the light you want to, but that ship is still heading in the direction. You can be feeding the boiler of that ship, but that ship is still heading to New York, right? From Southampton. doesn't matter what it is. It's like there are parts to this place. So, so find a place where you can feel that you connect with the vision of this church because, well, of the church or the place or the ministry that you are setting yourself to. Because there is a greater cause. Like Corin said, you know what the overvision of, of Lake Haven is, that, that all people everywhere we experience uh, will know God intimately and experience his love. And I, I wanted to bring that up in, um, in uh, John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is defining I know I've said it many times, but just give it a second here. Jesus is defining what eternal life is. And he says, this is eternal life. Just stop for a second. Think about it. This is eternal life. Not one day when you go to heaven and you see the pearly gates and you're like, wow, isn't that awesome? That's not what he said. He says, this is eternal life. Ready for it? That they may know you. This whole thing is about knowing him. It's about knowing him. And Gnosko, we've spoken about this. This whole thing is about knowing God intimately and having an intimate relationship with him, right? So, and, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that is our goal. That's why we say uh, Lake Haven is that all people would intimately know God and experience, have a tangible experience of his love. That is our overreaching, over, overarching goal. And then we have our erect thing, our REC, reaching it, how, do we, how do we do this? Through three ways. One, we reach people because we teach and love and love people with the unconditional love of God. God's love is not conditional. We've been speaking about it for a few weeks. Jesus and God the Father loves sinners. He loves sinners. He loves sinners. He is good to sinners. He is good to evil and unthankful. We can be like him, right? So, so we know that that message is not very common because sinners get tired of thinking, God's going to get me. I'm not going to that place. God's going to get me, right? So we know that our lives have to represent that. We are kind to, to evil and unthankful people because we're like our father. 
But we also know that we're getting established in Christ. And we've been speaking last week about, about growth, the reason of maturity, right? And, and um, flip over, if you will, to, to uh, Hebrews. I'm going to pull this up quickly. I didn't have it in my, um, uh, my notes here. Maybe I did. Give me a second. Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, of instruction about washings or baptism, the laying of in hands, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And so in, in the scripture, again, that's Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. He says, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And he's not saying, you've heard me teach about this, don't want to get into it. He's not saying, forget about it. He's just saying, we're not going to keep laying these foundations We've got to stand on this. And he says these elementary things. And he says, but let's go on to maturity. And, and, and we spoke about the process of maturing and growing. Understand, please, please, brothers and sisters, no matter where we are, we're on a journey of growth and maturity. You and I haven't arrived at a place where we are finally there. We are on a journey together. And it's not going to happen overnight. So take heart in one sense. Don't take heart. It is a journey, and we are on this process. But he's, so he, he lays it out. Let's, let's move along, not laying down to this foundation from repentance from dead works. And, and those foundations, I didn't feel like this is the series to get stuck into the foundations. Because those are, each one of those foundations, those five or six, depending on how you break up the last one, foundations are critical. They are a foundation. We can talk at length about repentance from dead works. And why it is important and understanding that we are called to works, but dead works bring death and da 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 da, da. And we can, we can go and build it out. But lest you do, if you go and do D group, we'll pull out some of those foundations, right? D group, we go through the grow series. Please do D group if you're in this next semester and, and get yourself founded on the, on the foundations. Make sure that your foundations are firm and steadfast because it's from there we go on to maturity. It's from there we proceed onto maturity. And let me again say this, just knowing the information doesn't mean you're there. There's people that can, aren't even saved that can quote parts of the Bible, right? Anyhow, so that, that, was, that was, you know, just where we're moving on. So growth is, how, is getting people establishing believers, getting our faith. That's why I said we, we use the word believers there. Establishing, getting rooted and grounded, established in the anointed one. We're anointed in Christ. We are part of Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, etc. And, and, and we can teach on establishing and so on. And then there's, of course, connecting to his cause, reaching out. We, what is the cause of Christ? What is the place? And, and in, a, in an essence, today's message, I, I felt led to call it was, was um, is called a kingdom perspective. It is essential for this critical factor to have a kingdom perspective. And yes, what do you mean by that, Shannon? Well, okay. Let me, if you're asking that question. Now, listen, when you, I, many of you have probably flown an aeroplane. Now, I've obviously flown many, many times. I, I'm not from here. I've flown across 
the world and I've been to different places and I used to, I used to fascinate. I love window seats. I love taking off. I like landing. I love, I love flying. But now I've flown so much. Eh, okay. I'm, you know, it's like, but I still enjoy what, what fascinated me though is looking down when, when, when you're taking off and it's a nice clear day or it's night and you can see nice clear people, you know, the, the lights beneath you. I am fascinated with the immenseness of seeing neighborhoods and street lights. I'm, am, I'm amazed that I, I often think, wow, there's a sea of houses. Just here in Orlando, when you take off and you're looking down and you see houses, 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 hundreds, hundreds, thousands of houses, and the houses are just this big, you know, and they get smaller, obviously. And you just see roads passing them and lights, and some of them have got little pools, tiny little pools about this big, you know, and they've got pools and, you know, and, and, and you just see it from, you see it from a different perspective. And I thought to myself, wow, we spend a lot of mind, money and time on that little dot. From up here, that, and, and you just feel like, wow, there's thousands upon thousands of thousands of homes. I can't even tell if it's a million dollar mansion or if it's a $50,000 whatever. I can't even tell sometimes then it's about a pool and how important the pool is or what kind of car is in the garage, right? And, and sometimes stepping out of things and seeing things from a different perspective allows you how to value certain things. It gives you a paradigm and perspective. And, and, uh, and you know that, that I'm a missionary. I own heart and Karen and I met on the mission field. You know, the mission field has given me a lot of perspective. In fact, if, you, if you've ever come with me on a mission trip and you hear me say this, I like to go on one mission trip a year because of this factor. It gives me an opportunity to step back and get perspective. Now, I was in Myanmar, Burma, earlier this year, and I was in two cities over there, and, and I did exactly that. It's like, wow, connect again to the harvest. See again where people are really at, because what we live in in America is not the harvest. Well, I mean, yes, it's a harvest field, so forgive me, if, but... but what we see as reality here is not the general experience of most people in the world. Most people in the world do not have fridges and bank accounts. In fact, they say if you have a fridge and a bank account, I think you're in the top 5 or 6% of people in the world. If you have a fridge and a bank account, you're wealthy. I have... I have, uh, you know, mission fields, uh, when I have uh, driven trucks in, in and out of Africa and, I, uh, you know, sent, uh, Central Africa to South Africa and South Africa was fairly developed at the time, um, at the time, <laughs> and uh, I, I know that some of the countries I would go into were very, very oppressive and dark. I mean, literally, when you crossed over from South Africa and you were driving north and I would drive through Botswana or um, Zimbabwe or into Mozambique, up into Malawi or Zambia, up in Central Africa or Namibia, Botswana, whatever these places were. And, and it was interesting to me because as I would drive, you get further, further away from quote-unquote civilization. And you see more and more things. Yes, besides the elephant on the road or whatever it is that you get to, you get to witness, when you, as, you, as you're driving up there, you see more and more huts and more and more deep Africa experience. And, and I know that some of those places we did crusades in uh, and we got some wild and crazy stories about God moving in some places and some really 
difficult times and, and, and everything. And some places really, really, we had sucky times, man. We, we, we really did. If you think that it's all sunshine and roses, it's mostly thorns and lots of sunshine, you know. And, 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 but but sometimes what, what amazed me is after I'd spent a couple of months in, in Central Africa doing some of stuff, I would come back and we were pretty depleted just physically after working hard and working long hours and long days. And I would drive back. I remember that we had, you know, you're living sort of by your wits and there's thieves and there's corrupt politicians and you're dealing with all lots of stories I had yet tell you one day. But, but I remember the feeling of driving back into South Africa. And the feeling was going across the border into South Africa and you close those borders behind you and suddenly you see telephone poles. Well, that's when we had telephone poles. But you had telephone, you had infrastructure, you had nicely tarred roads. You saw green fields with cows in them. And I was like, wow, green fields. I haven't seen a green field in, in weeks or months. And you see cows in those fields. And, you, and I thought, wow, we are so blessed in South Africa. We, 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 we have a little bit of a both sides of South Africa. But, but it, it, I felt like, you know what? If I brought any one of those people from what I've just experienced and I brought them into South Africa, we could camp in that field right now and we'd be wealthy. We'd be wealthy. We would have, we would have life. We would have so much better than what they had it. And, and, and you know, so... So perspective, when you, get, when you get an opportunity to step away and look at life and sort of value things, you get a different perspective. And kingdom perspective offers, offers you yet another step because God, God speaks about that. He talks about this in um, these scriptures over here. Let me pull them up for you quickly. In Romans, verse eight, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, it says, For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the, on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, stick with me because I'm going to couple a thought here. Remember in Romans, a couple chapters later in 14, 17, we see this, this well-known scriptures. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, Right? It's not a matter of do's and don'ts, what you eat, are you drinking this? In other words, it's not, a, it's not a matter of religious duty. That's not the kingdom of God. He says it's not about eating and drinking. Are you eating the right thing? Or what are you drinking? Are you drinking? No, you shouldn't eat this, you shouldn't eat that. He says that's not the kingdom of God. He says, but it's, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And you've heard me teach. He said, Jesus said that the kingdom of God's not out there, it's inside. It's inside, it's entos, it's inside. So, so this kingdom experience is righteousness, peace, and joy. And, and here, in, in, I'm going back to 8, 5, and 6, he says, those who live in according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, I would venture to say, every one of us would like the latter. We want to experience the latter. But the truth of the matter is, in our experience, and I'm talking about our day-to-day experience, at least I am, from my perspective, we don't necessarily experience life and peace all the time. 
I'm not saying we don't eternally have life and peace, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing in my, in my present now. Am I enjoying abundant life? Am I enjoying peace right now? Or am I not? Am I separated from that? And he gives us a clue. He says, you get to set your mind on the flesh. In other words, and, and, and we'll talk about this in August, but the, 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 in, in August some next month, but there is an opportunity to think like the world does, or there's an opportunity to think like God says we should be thinking about. And there are so many options about how we should be processing and how we should be thinking. But if you think on the flesh, you're going to experience death. And if you think like the Spirit leads us, it's life and peace. Okay, so I'm going to jump down to Philippians chapter 3, verse um, 19. Very similar scripture. He says that he's talking about enemies of the cross, and he says in verse 19 of Philippians 3, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, he says, and, we await, and from it we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And then Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4, um, he says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I'm going to stop there a second. Seek the things that are above. He's talking about heavenly things, right? Seek, seek those things that are above, the, uh, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And guess or, where are you seated? Right, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, there's that word again, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For your, you have died. You have died. So you're all a bunch of zombies. You're walking dead people, or you should be walking dead people. You have died. Now that's a crazy spiritual truth, right? You have died and your life is, is hidden with Christ in God. You see, dead people can't get offended. Dead people, dead people can't really want anything. Dead there's a lot of things we could go into what dead people can do or not. But I'm taking a half step back. He says, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated. Set your minds that are on those, not on things on the earth. You know why he's telling us this? Because we can. He's telling believers, guys, don't set your mind on the stuff around you. Now, this is not automatic. This is, this is a decision to see things differently. This is a decision to set your mind and your thinking on above. But that's weird, Shannon. What do you mean by setting your... What do you mean? I mean, like, I don't walk around with my eyes in the sky. No, he's not saying look up into the clouds. He's talking about setting. Where is your meditation? What is your establishment? What, where is your truth? What is, what is your truth? What, what are you taking to, to the bank, so to speak? What is your reality? Does your reality come from Dr. Fauci? Does your reality come from President Trump? Does your reality come from your local doctor? You, I mean, he's a nice guy, or she's a nice guy, gal, apparently, I'm sure. But does your reality depend on what comes out of their mouth? 
think about it because I'm not asking you to answer that, but, but if you have a mind that you can choose to set it on things above or a perspective that you can choose to see things from things above or, or you can choose to see things the way the world operates. We can choose to see things as natural people or we can choose to walk and operate as people above things. Now, the, the beautiful thing about the word glory, if you see what the word glory means, it's, it's, it, the word glory in Greek, the glory of God, it's a powerful word. It's called doxa. You've probably heard it before. But it, the word doxa, and it's not just shininess and splendor, which is one of the many definitions, but it's talking about the opinion of God. It's talking about the perception of what we choose to have. It says it's an opinion, or the first definition is it's an opinion it's a judgment and it's a view. It's an, an estimate whether it's good or bad. Then it talks about splendor. But it's an opinion, it's an estimate. So God's glory is his view and opinion. God, listen to, carefully to me. I know this sounds like the word. When we talk about the glory of God, we want to get all religious, right? Let's run around, let's run up and down the church and let's see the shininess. Oh, with the glory of God. Woo! And then you walk out and you... You see, that's not living in the glory of God. Living in the glory of God is adopting his view and opinion, which is the only reality. If you and I, the whole process of growth is basically, now one of my favorite movies of all time is The Matrix. The blue pill or the red pill? Do you remember the movie? It was like, it, basically, Leo, you've been living in a dream world. Neo, sorry. Neo, whoops. You've been living in a dream world. You know, we, we can either, we all grow up in a dream world where we have this matrix of the world, this way of seeing the world put down around our eyes. And we can either, we get taught, this is the way you do, this is the way you operate, this is the values, this is. And all these guys in reality were just plugged into the matrix. Asleep in a cocoon, it was all happening up in their heads. The whole thing was a deception. It was a brain misconception, right? So Leo, Neo gets basically born again. He gets pulled out of the matrix and he gets to experience the real world for the first time. And it's nothing like he thought it was. Now, that, that illustration is so powerful because we're living in a dream world if we live by the way the world operates. Now the world wants you to operate their way, but you and I get to choose whether we're gonna see things his way, by his view, and see and operate by the glory of God. Are you with me? Do you understand that? Okay, so God, when you see the word glory, look at the context, because I said it's a multifaceted word. Sometimes it does talk about just shininess, but when God's glory is his view and opinion. Remember we spoke about it a few weeks ago when Moses said, show me your glory. He said to, Mo, to the Lord, and he said, I will let my goodness pass before you. And he revealed his goodness to you. And, and that foundation of God being a good God is the very, very first critical fact I was saying. Because you know what? If you don't know that you 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 know that God is a good, good God, taste and see that he is good, then you won't, you won't run to him when you fall. You don't. You feel guilty. You're going to feel like, oh, he's going to hit me with a hammer. 
Or I know why the washing machine broke down. I know why the fridge gave up. I know why the oven doesn't work. It was because I kicked the dog. It was because I yelled at my spouse. It was because I, I did something. I didn't pay my tithes. Oh, God forbid. Or whatever. You know, if you think that, that God is going to get you because you didn't pay your tithes, you have got a, you're, you're not living in the right world. God ain't going to get you for anything. He got Jesus for a reason. God's not going around getting people. Now, these things, that, that's again that whole teaching of dead works. We, we, you know, we, don't, we, want, to, we want to escape that. But, but God's not going to get you, right? Anyhow, he's not, as we say many times, he's Father God, not the Godfather. You know, the Godfather will get you if you don't pay him. But not Father God. Father God won't. But you see, perspective... You know, our, our little limited world, we've got, I've got a nice jar of rocks and stones. You've, I brought it out to stage a couple of times, maybe a couple of years ago was the last time I brought it. But I love it because in the jar, it's a glass jar, it's got the big rocks and it's got the little rocks. And they only just fit. But if you pour in the little rocks first, you can't ever put the big rocks in, right? And the principle is that you've got to put the big rocks in the jar first and then put the little rocks in afterwards, Okay, those great illustrations about that. You've got to be able to... Now, if you're running around today, say, for example, you get in your car tomorrow, you've got to get to work, you've got to pay the bills, they're waiting for you, you're supposed to work at uh, 8 o'clock or whatever, 9 o'clock or whatever, and you're rushing off to work, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got a meeting, it's an important meeting, we've got the, the director coming in from something, or some big appointment that you have to be, so you're rushing off to work, Whew, you rush, you, you, you're snippy because you're running late with your spouse, you've got to dash out because... And, and, and suddenly... Um, halfway there, you have an accident. Now, what was important three minutes before is now suddenly not so important. Suddenly, it's life and death, or it's, I can't get there. You have to, suddenly, that whole thing that was so important to you, the perspective changes. Right? It's kind of like flying an airplane, and suddenly when the engines quit, priorities change. (laughs) You know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. Oh, God, help me. You know, you know, whatever, you know, you know, we, <laughs> you know, having, and you know, so, so you get perspective from these things. And I can tell you what, if in the military gives you perspective, life and death perspective, it's healthy. I, I mean, I, I, you've, if, you, if you've ever had me do a funeral, one of the things I'll talk about is the perspective of death. I, I, uh, there is an element to understand that you might not be around very long. And I'm not talking about, not everybody gets the privilege of growing old. And, and, and there's an element of, and I, unfortunately, or fortunately, in my experience, have had the opportunity of seeing many young people pass away. And if you have a close encounter with death, and I don't mean to be macabre or Greek, you know, grave here, when you think, but, but honestly, guys, you, we should be living our life with a different perspective, adjusting our priorities, because you might not live, you might not live the rest of the week. You're, you see, there, you know, when you, when you adopt God's perspectives, his perspectives are more permanent. Our perspectives will change. The size of our rocks will change from day to day, depending on whether we have a puncture, a flat tire, or whatever incident happens. We can be yelling at our kids because they didn't clean up the room, and then we can be very 
then we can get a diagnosis and suddenly cleaning up our room, big deal, right? Big deal. Not, not, not such a big thing. Exactly. So, so understanding how we get a kingdom perspective and what is our absolute foundation. And so um, I, I felt like we, we just have to revisit this from a step. From, from Obviously, there's many, many scriptures we can go into you. But what is setting our mind, what is setting our sights and our mind on things above? How do we get kingdom perspective? And, and the very, very, very first foundation is obviously the word of God. We, you have to have settled what the word of God is to you. Now, if you are not settled, everyone watching online, wherever it is, if you are not settled that God's word is his final authority, then you need to be there. You need to get that settled. Now, I remember I was not always settled. I used to wonder when I was a young growing kid, when I was in a Christian home, I was like, well, what makes the Bible the Bible? I mean, what's a big deal? The Muslims have the Quran and... Uh, you know, Joseph Smith has his golden spectacles and whatever writings he has, the Book of Mormon, and you know, you've got all these other writings. You've got Confucianists, and you've got, you've got Sun Tzu saying his philosophy. There's lots of philosophies there, ancient philosophies. I've had, we've had people that have got marvelously saved in this church, but they don't take the Bible as their only foundation and suddenly, well, I'll throw in a little bit of this and I'll throw in, well, I'm going to follow this and follow that. And, but you see, if you don't have the word of God as your absolute foundation, you will not be able to grow or mature or even experience the reality. It has to, your life, your belief system has to be founded on God's word. Now, do you know that Jesus never called it the Bible, right? The Bible is just a name we stamp on it. Biblos, you know, it's called the book. But the Bible... The Bible is a, is a compilation of 66 different books by, I'm sorry, yeah, 66 different books by a whole bunch of different authors over, some people say 1,400 years, some people say 1,600 years, it, it, but it's a compilation. Of, it's not just one guy who said, hmm, I'm just going to write this out and print it. That's not the case. You, if you have to get grounded in yourself the miraculous truths of why the Bible is the Bible. And if that's not where you are, that's fine. But be real with yourself and find out what you believe about the Bible. Amen. Visit that, camp out on that, and say, well, why do I need to know that I know that I know that I know that the Bible is God's ultimate word and truth? And when you're there, now you've got a rock to stand on. Now you have got it. because. And why do I say that? Because that foundation, that rock has to be sturdy. You've got to know that because when you go to God's word and it says, listen guys, this is the reality. I'm going to teach you, Jesus says, and he's going to teach you something. We've got to know that his view and opinion is reality. If you just see Jesus' view as, well, that's kind of a nice opinion. You know how many believers actually treat God's word as an opinion? That's what they do. They don't treat it as the word of God. They just treat it as an opinion. There are lots of wonderful people, wonderful churchgoers out in the world today. And then all they do is they treat it as an opinion. It's, well, it's nice what Jesus says, but I don't think that. You have got to find out for yourself what is your rock? What is the foundation? And if you aren't, again, founded that the Bible is 
God's word, then get founded. And I say there's, there, there are so many miracles. I mean, it's a whole topic we can study in depth. Get yourself grounded and rooted in the truth of God's word. Because when we know this, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures is God-breathed. In the ESV, it says, uh, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Every, it says that scripture, all scripture is breathed, is God-breathed, is given by his inspiration. So as those guys wrote, it was God-breathed. And profitable for instruction, for reproof, correction, for conviction of sin, correction of error, discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness. That, when, when, you, when you can take the word of God, suddenly, now, if you have got a background where, you, where the word of God has been used as a hammer, and it's very negative, then you can, have a, you can pick up your Bible, as I used to, whew, and it will read a lot of condemnation into you. You pick up the Bible. In fact, you don't even want to read your Bible. You just put it on your shelf. Oh, I don't want to pick that up. Because as soon as you open up your Bible, all you read is what you should be doing. What you should be doing, what I should be doing. I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I'm missing it. I should be doing, I should be doing, I should be doing. Right? I don't know. This is where I was. But that only happens when our hearts are not persuaded in the gospel. You see, when, when our hearts get taught that God is good and we receive the Lamb of God and His sacrifice for us and suddenly I know that I know that I am the righteousness of God, that my sin was poured out on that Lamb and that, that innocent blood washed me eternally. Washed me eternally. Washed me eternally. Wow, that changes the way because now suddenly I, I read the Bible through different perspective and I'm not seeing the same things I used to see. Man, there's, there's, <laughs> there's lots of ways I could go with that. I don't want to keep you too long though. But man, I tell you what, that is crazy, crazy awesome, good. But God's word in Psalm 119, it says, um, Steve and I were talking about this, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is eternally fixed. I, I want you to understand, the coming of this age and the next age, God's word's not going to change through the ages because God spoke and it became an eternal, eternal fixture. God's word is so established, it's eternally fixed. And, and Psalm 119 is a long psalm, but it's beautifully rich with, with truths about God's word. And, and he goes and he says that your word is the one that gives me a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and in verse 103, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter. When, when you find the joy of, of, of God's word, I mean, that's kind of like saying, man, would you like a bag of gummies? Or whatever, except better. It's like you sit down with the God's word and it's like, oh my gosh. You get that whole experience like taste and see that God is good. Taste and see, oh, he's sweet. Jeremiah says, your word's like a scroll. Well, look, I ate them. I ate them. And, 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 and devouring the word of God becomes like this. When you think about the word of God, your mouth starts watering. <laughs> I'm hungry for it. Because it's just like, God's word is so good. 
But I can promise you, my experience emotionally before was what I explained to you for many years. For many years, my heart felt condemned when I opened the Word of God because I did not know the gospel of truth, I did not know the gospel of peace. I did not know in, in Psalm, in, I mean, Isaiah 53 and 54 talks about the covenant of peace that God would make. And in fact, I haven't forgotten um, Pastor Earl's words earlier that he gave to me from Isaiah 54 verse 2, and we'll read that in a minute. But, but he talks about the covenant of peace in, in Isaiah. In fact, let me pull it up right now because I have it ready here, my phone. In Isaiah, 50, um, in Isaiah 54, in verse 2, the, the word was this, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out and do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Amen. That is, that is a word. And in, in Isaiah 53, you see this, this beautiful, ex, uh, talking about the lamb who would take away the sin of the world. You see this whole is that he would be, he would take the punishment that brought us peace. I mean, that's crazy. I, it still blows me away to this day when you think about it. The punishment that brought us peace. I'm going to go and put my judgment on this lamb so that I can have peace with God. It's crazy. And then in Isaiah 54, it, it just after this, this passage, he says in verse, um, in verse, I think it's 9 or 10, verse 9, he says, To me, or this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. I mean, listen to that. Man, you've seen a rainbow before. We know that the rainbow was God's promise that he would never destroy the world. And he says, this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So have I sworn that I will not be angry with you and not rebuke you. How is that? Verse, verse 10. If you can take the next verse, please. In verse 10 it says, well, if you can, is it, is it easy to pull up? It's not so easy. Okay. There. Four. Four. Because the mountains may depart and the hills may be, be removed, but my steadfast love, we've studied that word, he said, shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. You know, you, know, you know why? Because your sin has been dealt with. I know I'm coming back to that, but, but you know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like having a big fat credit card with a massive amount of debt on it. Say you inherited debt. It wasn't your own fault, but you inherited, I don't know, let's call it $35 million worth of debt. Okay. And you, you just inherited it. You grew up and you had this credit card and your dad gave it to you one day and he said, oh, you're in debt $35 million. It's like, great, have a nice life. You know, it's like, okay, what is the interest on, you know, and, the, and the, you've got all these things that you're paying on this debt to this credit card. And then one day Jesus says, listen, I am going to take and pay your debt. And he, he, he takes that debt and he scratches it and he says, okay, your debt is zero. And he says, by the way, just by the way, just so you know that this card now, you'll never be able to accrue debt on it again. Think about that. 
the credit card he's given us can never accrue debt because Jesus has paid the debt. Now, some people will say, yay, I can go and sin. Well, no, that would be stupid, you know, because sin is the stuff that destroys us. Sin is the stuff that separates us. Sin is the stuff that hurts us and others, right? So I didn't particularly want to go that direction, but, but that beautiful fact that the covenant of peace that's why God can be at peace and is at peace with us. And if that is not our foundation, if that is not a rock that we can go to and say, but this is what the word of God says. I can rest on that. Oh, I'm not going to. Why? Because it is sure. It is sure. It's an anchor for my soul. It's a, it has to be an anchor. So kingdom perspective starts there. You know, um, I want to drop down to Isaiah Proverbs, um, sorry, not Proverbs, Isaiah, Proverbs 4 verse 20. This is in the beginning of Proverbs. We, we love these scriptures around here, but he says this, my son, be attentive to my words. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Do you hear, do you, do you hear that? He says, be attentive to my words, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. There are so many little gems there. My son, he's talking to us as a child, his child, not as just somebody out there. He says, my son, listen to my word, pay attention, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You know, kingdom perspective, this, this critical factor is really, there is, there is so much we can delve into this. But it has to start simply with a decision that God's word is a reality. God's word is the final authority. God's word is the final truth. Because that, from that perspective, we can experience that peace. From that perspective, we will be able to see things as they really are, come out of that matrix, set our minds on things that are above. And that's essentially what we're doing with the word of God. When we, when we study God's word together and we unpack things to, to God's word. So just close your eyes for a moment. My question today is ask yourself that, not Shannon's question. Ask yourself, is the word of God really my final authority? Do I take a, whose authority do I place above God's? I know it's easy in church to say, well, I, I got I, God is my final authority and the Bible is my final authority. But when, when it really hits the, the fan and Jesus speaks and says something, is that, is that the truth that you're willing to lean on? Is that, the, is that the word that is firmly settled and fixed in heaven? Does finding his word bring you peace? this time where there is so much noise 
and we hear so many opinions out there and so many opinions of sickness and so many opinions of disease and so many opinions of that it's so easy to get caught up in opinions and trying to and, and trying to enforce our beliefs on others and that's not where I want to do I can't enforce my my personal beliefs on you my question though is where are you looking will you keep your eyes and think like the world does or will you be willing to sort of step back and fly high and look down from God's perspective and say my son I see things a little differently because I know that this is a critical absolutely important perspective and this morning if you do not know the Lord or you came with somebody you do not know Jesus and you have that experience emotional maybe you're ill and you've got symptoms in your body you heard this morning the Lord encourage you that the Lamb of God took your punishment he took your sin but he also took your disease there's nothing that you can do so Lord we just receive that just in your heart to say Lord I'm receive your salvation because I couldn't do it and Lord I receive your healing right now I receive your healing right now and father we thank you for that word just that this, that we heard this morning about just extending out our tents enlarging our tents now we're about to um, tea is going to come up and just and 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 uh, kind of conclude the service but if that's one if one of you if you've prayed that prayer if any one of you prayed that prayer please come and speak to us we have ministry in front and we would love to we have a great well-trained prayer team that know they know how to let me tell you the our prayer team just as a little punt these aren't second-class ministers I by the way it's not like I have a level anointing and they've got B level anointing there's no such thing there is only the anointed one and he it's in him that we receive but these guys are well trained in how to listen and how to minister to you so they are here willing to minister to you for anything emotional physical spiritual I'm telling you try them out give them a spin no seriously it really is amen tea